Hello, I am Mike Bankhead, your host, bass player, songwriter, and now podcaster from Dayton, Ohio. Today's guest is Paul Levy. He's a surgeon, but that's not the reason that we're going to talk to him today. We're not going to talk about the surgeon part. No, we're going to talk about making music here on... I think you'll enjoy this one. Uh, Paul's very passionate about the music he makes, and you'll be able to tell that clearly. Let's get to the conversation, huh? Hey there, Paul. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I'm tired. We already did this, but we're doing it again now that it's recording. Yeah. Maybe that's why you're tired. You know, it's that kind of ennui of, I've already done this. I've been there, you know, the deja vu, if it were. You just used two French words, two French terms in that sentence. And there are a lot of reasons that I think I get along with you, but that's just just added to the list. I happen to be a, a French speaker. I didn't know if you knew that. I, I I gathered from conversations and being with you before that you're a multilinguist. And so, no, I didn't know you were a French speaker. Uh, I've heard your Spanish. I, I'm not surprised in the least, Mike. Uh, you, you've always got a trick. I'm out of tricks. That's it. Just French and Spanish, uh, which after we're done, I'll send you a couple of songs I wrote in French. But first, I want to talk about this. And since this is not a visual podcast, I mean, I could put the video on YouTube, but I don't plan to. What am I holding? Tell the people what I'm holding. You're holding a record. You're holding a sad box record called Future Copy. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. Tell me, tell, tell me more about this record that I'm holding. Well, um, you seem to be holding the CD version of the second studio album from the Dayton, Ohio uh, rock and roll band Sad Box. It was just released on December 10th of this year. And um, the uh, album contains 10 songs. And it is also available in a vinyl LP version that was pressed at Music Hall Studios in Columbus. And it comes with a nifty little lyric insert, which we didn't know we, we didn't know how we felt about that. Um, and uh, it's available on streaming platforms. There you go. All right. So I want to know why you didn't know what you felt about the lyric insert, because as a child of the 90s who loved reading minor notes and lyrics, it's such a value add for me. So I want to I want to get your thoughts on what the doubt was on this. I I didn't think that it wouldn't be cool. I thought that in general I, I was going to like it. I thought that most people were going to like it. I think that any time that you kind of give a piece of the artwork uh, a little bit more of like a tangible structure that you can either detract or add to the mystique or to the experience of it. And I didn't know what that was going to do. And we've gotten really good feedback on it. But, you know, I just didn't know, is is this going to be hokey and kind of dumb? Or is this going to be something that people are going to look at and say, I think I know what it meant, but this kind of changes my view. And it just makes you kind of dive back into it more. We we didn't know what it was going to do. There's uh, there's four gentlemen on the back. Would you mind telling me who these guys are? Yeah. we, we, uh, We heard their sad box. Let's go into more detail. They are. So we've got uh, Eli Albin, who is uh, guitars and has started in the last year to do uh, synth and some kind of uh, very spacey keyboard work with it. I think it's actually really cool. And uh, so he takes on kind of a little multidimensional role and 
he also plays in the other uh, project that he's in, uh, 1984 Draft, uh, which is, is a powerhouse in the Dayton scene. They've been around a long time. And uh, I, I think it's really cool, too, because you get to see Eli uh, do two very different sounds with the same toolbox. And I think yep. that that's really watching that. Uh, then you see uh, Ryan Gowdy, who is our bass player. He's not very talkative. Uh, if you see him out, he's uh, generally uh, kind of a quiet, low to the ground kind of uh, guy. I think a lot of you bass players are that way, Mike. Um, but uh, he he's holding down the uh, holding down the groove for us on there. And Raymond Owens, who's our percussionist, Ray is the exact opposite. He's a social butterfly. You know, he's out there talking with everybody. Uh, him and Ryan pair together. And, and hold down the rhythm end. And then uh, I'm Paul, and I do the vocals and a smattering of rhythm and lead guitar work. So I spend more time with Ray than most people who are not in your band do, probably. So I happen to know that you have a lot of songs written that we haven't heard yet. And we're supposed to save the what's next for you question for the end, but I kind of want to know now if that's okay. No, we can go in any... <laughs> Man, it's your show, Mike. Uh, you can go in any order that you like. What's next is going to be a matter of figuring out what everybody's collective appetites have. I have compositions personally that range to being 20 plus years old that would fit very well. I have compositions that the entire band has worked on recently. There are a few of them that we have had ideas kicking around. And I think a lot of us have an appetite you're going to laugh at me when I say this, because if you've heard the albums, they're not um, they're not albums that are kind of pieced together in a uh, in a pop sensibility. Uh, you know, they're they're not afraid to kind of challenge conventions. And what I'm going to tell you is probably going to make you laugh a little bit. But I think a lot of us have an appetite for taking things that Sadbox would do and intentionally complicating them in, in other ways. As if, as if we're not like complex and kind of like complicated and, and obtuse enough. Um, but we've got a great song that Ryan had brought to us, and it's um, it, it was a very nice composition and rounded itself out nice musically and had phrasing that really went where you would expect the song to go. And all of a sudden, we kind of started jamming it for a little bit, and we left off the last kind of chunk of the measure and all of a sudden now it's in this wobbly seven eight but it's kind of got like this steely dan seven eight vibe to it and it wobbles a little bit and so we've got we've got that working um kind of got some spoken word type lyric stuff um and then there's another one that's in five four that we've been kicking around periodically for like a couple of years so we have all of that but the other thing is ryan's really been working on you know not not specific to Sadbox, just compositions because he likes to do that. He likes to noodle on the guitar. And while Ryan's not our guitarist, he's a completely proficient guitar. I mean, he could sit in pretty much any band in the city and play guitar with him. And um, and so he's got compositions. The problem is, is translation. You know, he plays guitar like him and I play guitar like me. And then we got to figure out what does it sound like when those ideas get converted to the way that I do them. And that's how you get these kind of weeble wobbly seven, eight songs that kind of, you know, that just wobble on the tracks a bit. So I think what you're going to see is that kind of stuff. We got a lot of really great feedback on inflection point, which is like an eight and a half minute instrumental piece. Yep. And really 
we all felt like that was so questionable to put on this album. We felt so sloppy about it. And it really has received great feedback. I don't think anybody minds the fact that it's live. You know, that, that's a live recording. And we came back and plinked a little things over it. But, I, you know, I've got some other instrumentals that I'm ready to bring out. And I think Ryan does, too. And, and then so that's kind of the writing process for this is probably going to continue evolving. Whereas like the first album, here's 10 songs that, you know, that I wrote and I know how to play. I'll bring it. You guys figure out how you want to add to it. And that's how that album kind of was created. The second album was much more, I had song ideas. We bring it to the band. The band kind of does their, you know, churning and retooling and refinishing. And there's an album with the exception of a couple of them that are straight up Ryan's ideas and the same thing happened. I think we're going to have a much more kind of cohesive collaborative thing going forward. But I mean, the, the material is, we have two LPs worth of possible material. It just awesome. has aggregated and finalized. Time for a double, no? That's one idea. You know, you and I can, consume music in that very 20th century mindset of do a double. And I talked to other artists and, um, you know, actually dropped some stuff off at the studio and saw Patrick and, and, and Zach was in there working on his new album and, and let me listen to some of it. And it sounds, it sounds fantastic, by the way, it's going to yeah, be great. He's good. But, you know, he's great. And then he's an enjoyable person who has a very, very different uh, slant on the way, like, you know, you release albums or you did that well, split album. He's younger than us, so you should expect that, right? I do, and it's funny. The consumption in the millennial and younger market is different. I catch the tail end of Gen X, and I think like you do. Let's do a double. I think if you were to talk to somebody else, they might say, you know what? That's fine. Release an LP if you must. But why don't you just release a song every three months for the next couple of years and just do it that way? I don't know how we're going to do it. We're old timers who have kind of a nostalgia, so my guess is we're going to probably do a full proper album whether that's well advised or not. I like this topic because it collides my interest with what drew me to music as a young person. And I'm also interested in where the industry is headed, especially as someone who has aspirations of getting a paycheck someday for writing songs. Like you, I'm at the tail end of Generation X. And I'm one of those people that still believes in the album as an artistic form and artistic statement. And I feel like you can especially see that in future copy. As you said, you put an eight minute instrumental on there. Ain't no millennial putting eight minute instrumentals on their record, you know? Yeah, I, I think not in the rock and roll format either. I think there's plenty of millennials out there who are making eight minute, 10 minute, 15 minute compositions, but I don't know that they're trying to put it within the construct of kind of what a rock band sounds like. Probably more ambient or EDM ish. Yeah. Yeah, and they're doing a great job of that. But I think, you know, you, you and I also may have this bit of nostalgia for, you know, rock as a format. And I look at rock very much as being, you know, like macrame or, uh, you know, like acrylic or enamel. I mean, they're all just different venues to get uh, to get music across. Right. But we seem to be very enamored with that kind of particular subset. I'm going to revisit that topic in a second. Cool. But I think as far as what to do with all the material, that one could do a blend. If you, Paul, and the rest of your band, who are all our age or older, <laughs> so these are all going to be people that believe in the album as an art form, as an artistic statement in itself. 
if you want to make albums because that's the art you want to make, you should make albums. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't throw a bone to modern listening habits and also make singles, right? It puts a little more onus on us as the creative artists to produce more stuff, but why not? Well, I, that, that's the key. The why not is not a matter of want. You know, usually it's a matter of time. Uh, we're all job having individuals. And so the finance end of it's not bad, but the question is, can you get the time when all four of us are parents uh, and all four of us have jobs? That's, that's the biggest challenge that we face. Yeah. There, there is no other why not. I mean, we're in the same boat as you. I think we would all chase this uh, and, until we were blue in the face and tired and our feet were you know, hurting and then get up the next day and do it some more. Yeah. This leads me to a question. When you sit down to write, what are the tools of your craft? It ties into my, the topic. Oh, you know, sure. No, my, my, my writing process doesn't really uh, make a ton of sense to me. Um, I wish that it did. I wish that I could sit down with any sense of discipline or mental organization and tell you that there is a place and a pattern and a method. Sometimes I'll sit for hours, you know, over the course of a week with an idea, bounce it around, see what spin I can give it and, and abandon it and walk away. Uh, other times an entire piece, lyrics, everything will come to start to finish within an hour's time. There's a new one that I think for sure will appear on whatever we do next called I'm temporarily calling room with a view that I had a trip to Chicago the first week of October this year. So like almost two months ago and just in, in an hour staring out of the window at the Chicago skyline, um, just wrote a song and I, I don't know where it came from. And then there's, uh, there's other times where I'll have to sit and, and kind of, and ponder for a long chunk of time. The one thing I can say generally is, is if an idea is, is piecemealing together and I like it, I will generally quit on it before perfection just for the sake of keeping it fresh. I, I guess for lack of a better way to put it, because um, I know that I will kill it if I continue to try to change it. You know, And I know here's a fair analogy because I know you cook. If you keep fiddling with something, eventually you will dehydrate it, overspice it, oversalt it, or burn it. And at some point, you just have to stop. And now you commit it to muscle memory. I'm not saying this is how anybody else should write, but I've done that repeatedly where I'll say, this doesn't resolve the way I want to, or I want to get this extra flavor or sonic uh, embellishment that I never do. I just let it die because I know that if I keep going, I'm going to burn it. That's fascinating. And I'm going to want to come back to this because I want to follow on your process. When you sit down to write, what instruments in your hands usually? Usually guitar, usually an acoustic guitar. So back to our conversation about how we choose rock and roll, probably because something in our youth makes us choose that. If you're sitting down with an acoustic, you could make something in any genre. The acoustic knows no genre. Yeah. No, it just ends up sounding the way I sound. I sound, if I'm doing it in my most natural form, I sound like rock. And I know that because I've played in a funk and R&B band, and I sounded very rock at the end of it. And we were covering all kinds of stuff that doesn't sound like rock music. And 
I have played in a bluegrass band many years back, and I sounded like a rock musician playing bluegrass. Um, the, the way I handle the instrument just kind of comes out that way. And you can paint it with ambient stuff. You know, I've got great tools. I've got, you know, all kinds of fun little electronic doodads that can paint whatever you want with it. And these are the same things that the kids are talking about, you know, like the 18-year-olds the who are making these killer ambient pieces and these electronica pieces are using the same stuff. And I just keep on coming out sounding like a rocker. So, you know, I don't fight that anymore. There's nothing wrong with that. No, no, there's nothing wrong with that. I just realized that's my versatility. And that's, you know, uh, if I, I'm a French press. You can do 20 different things with a French press, but at the end of the day, you're probably going to make coffee with it, right? And there's a million other applications for it. But, you know, that's, that's ultimately kind of what I keep on coming back to. You have a serious gift for metaphor. Uh, I, I like comparing stuff. What can I say? <laughs> I mean, dear listener, I hope this is getting you an idea of the kind of things you might find when you listen to Paul's lyrics. Or, or you could get the lyric sheet, you know, um, that'll be circulated soon enough. And then and you don't even have to waste time on the album. Hey, you got all my tricks. Again, this is, this is the 13 year old me speaking. The artist I liked then sometimes painted interesting work pictures. So that's something I'm going to like forever. Probably. But me too. That you can't, I don't think you can defy that excitement. And I think that's why you and I still like tangible form as well. Um, you can't deny that excitement. And it's not just because it's adolescent fervor. You know, it's true now, still. We do this, and we just finished with the biggest season that does this, right? Um, opening something, having a tangible doodad is is delightful. We've gotten out of that in music culture, and we've gotten out of that in many other things, but we haven't in in, in other artistic forays, right? People still buy paintings and sculptures, and they, they buy you know, decorative paperweights. <laughs> People still buy mugs that have pictures on them. They've just gotten away from doing that with their music. I think that that's just like vinyl started to die back and all of a sudden had a resurgence. I believe completely, Mike, tangible music is too good, too enjoyable, if environmentally unfriendly. It's just too rich to, to keep people away from it long-term. I'm one of those dudes that likes CDs better than vinyl. And that makes me a minority. There's a joke in there somewhere, but we'll leave it for later. But I will tell you why. You can take as the best care of vinyl, but at some point, because of the friction, you're going to lose sound quality. You take good care of a CD, nothing ever touches it but a laser. It's never going to sound worse than the day you bought it if you take care of it right. And it's tiny and portable, and I love them. I will always love them. I do, too. I do too. I still have boxes of not only my own. If I go to the corner, I've got others. But I mean, no, this is this is delightful. You have a package and you open it and it gives you all of the enjoyment of vinyl. It, I think there's a certain nostalgia that vinyl brought back too, because at one point in time, it was largely kind of a, it was it was just kind of a gag. You know, you hey man, look, I found this famous thing. You go to the Goodwill, and everyone would be going around looking uh, at, at all these different places. Like, how often do you get a chance to just sit down and talk about music with someone? You're a busy dude, so probably not too often. Not not near as often as I would like, man. Not near as often as I would like. I mean, how often do any of us get to do that? That's the the, the beautiful thing about 
being at a show in Dayton is you get to see, you know, all of your colleagues and, and all of your musical friends. And, 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 you know, we have our, like, we have our like evening of peerage where we can talk about, you know, studio sessions and we talk about shows and talk about, man, did you see this? So, so-and-so act, you know, but then, you know, you take a big deep breath in and you dive back under and it, you know, you're gone for a month again until you get to do it again. That is kind of how it works. There was something else I wanted to come back to and I forgot it again. Hmm. It was something you said and I wanted to discuss it. You do a spot with art, you know, uh, over WDUR and, and it's very back and forth and it would be a shame to have that stuff edited out. That's true. Not all of your stuff with art makes the air though. That's what the special Facebook feed is for. I know. The special Facebook feed is how I see most of his content though. In fact, you were just on recently and I really, yeah. and I really, really, you know what? I just remembered what I wanted to ask you because it had to do with something you said to Art. Oh, cool. Um, and you have touched on it in our conversation. You specifically said to Art that you do not edit when you write a song. Very, very. Yeah, I, I sit down, I'll, my lyrics especially. Um, I, let me see if I can find it. Again, man, somebody's going to be really mad. There's no uh, visual version of this. Um I mean, is, I could save, like, it's not like I don't have the ability to make a visual version. In fact, maybe I will. Maybe I'll save it and put it behind a paywall for people that care extra about us. They can. They can look at my basement ceiling wobbling back and forth. And my um, very old, not pleasant at all t-shirt with holes in the shoulder. No, but, you know, those are the comfortable ones. It is very uh, comfortable. So... This is manifest extirpation and my kids, I don't like to give songs away. Right. But you know, my kids back right around like a couple weeks before COVID lockdowns happened. Uh, and I and my wife were at the library because it was just kind of a gray day uh, in Ohio winters, you know, and it was like 33, just too cold to really have a lot of fun. No snow, everything is muddy. And why not? Let's go to the library. You know, my son can uh, do what he wants. My girls can all do what they want. There's plenty of stuff to stay interactive. And one of my kids brings me over this book of birds that had been misappropriated by somebody in the children's section. And it's a book of extinct bird species that has been illustrated by Ralph Stedman. I don't know who that is, but that sounds awesome. So Ralph Stedman, you know, his work, he is the artist who is, uh, done a lot of work covering things for Hunter S. Thompson, Does, did the cover to Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Okay. Uh, Ordain has a cookbook uh, that he illustrated. He has this very macabre, highly exaggerated, uh, very, very shocking, jarring imagery style. If you, if, you, if you got a phone or something, Look him up, Ralph Stedman. It's very famous for making very shocking, disturbing type images. And so he's got this book of extinct bird species. And I had a riff that I was plinking around earlier that night. In fact, I was trying to get the kids upstairs to, or the, like the night before, I was trying to get the kids upstairs for dinner. And I told my wife, I just need like five minutes because I had an idea and I was plinking around through it. And it was the kind of jazzy intro to that song, plus the two main chords. So I sit down and they show me this book of extinct birds. And on the back of this, this is a snowman thing. The library had, <laughs> I scribbled in colored pencil, all of the lyrics to that song. Wow. And of course, um, 
I, I don't buy the stuff as the artist is a conduit kind of thing, but at the same time, I have no choice. You know, I could sit down and try to come up with an idea for a month and then nothing will happen. Then all of a sudden you sit down while your kids are, you know, reading their books and coloring at the library and boom, you got a song. So the reason that fascinates me is that when I write, I edit until the second I'm in the studio tracking. Like I am relentlessly asking myself, how could this be better? Like, this is okay, but what can I do to make this better? How can I make this idea clearer? How could I go for not the obvious rhyme? Do something different. Like I am so, oh, it's probably the imposter syndrome, but I endlessly, endlessly tinker and craft and change and tinker and craft. And sometimes it's hard for me to know when it's done. So to hear you go on Dr. J show, an artist and songwriter, and I like your stuff, and you're like, yeah, I don't edit anything. It's just, I'm like, how do you even do that? I think a big chunk of it is you can either work on it because and i've heard this said by other artists locally and professionally both that i respect the snot out of these people say that you know the good art never you know it never is finished it just dies from neglect or gets put out the way it is you know the good art's never finished it just dies i come to a point where i lose interest in it and will start to do it a disservice if i continue to pit and play and tinker and i know that um, I've done that. I've watched compositions that I loved and felt strongly about kind of wither in front of me because I kept on poking it and poking it and poking it. And then I would finally get angry at it. And then I would find holes in other parts of the composition that now no longer kind of choreographed and fit with what I had done. So I would go back and I would revamp them. And I just got to a point where I said, you know what? The point I want to convey is X, Y, Z, and I have a choice at every interval, okay? Here, I feel like I'm selling the lyrics short, but I'm staying in time signature and it fits melodically. Which of those matters most? Okay, what you're going to do then is you're going to change verb tense, and this verb is in the wrong tense, and it's not conjugated, and the sentence structure is wrong. Uh, I don't know. I got lyrics like na 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 na. So does it really matter if one of my verbs is improperly conjugated or the tense is wrong? No. It doesn't because it serves the purpose and everything else kind of works. And so I have zero problems lopping off a corner and kind of wedging things together if it conveys the message more succinctly. And then I just forget about it because if I think about it, I'll ruin it. So that makes me ask, how do you know when it's done? Uh, Since we approach this completely different ways, the way that we know when it's done is not going to be the same way, right? No, no. It's... Um, it's a matter of how does it physically feel to do? So how does the muscle memory work? Like, can I do this repeatedly? And do I like the way it feels while I'm doing it? Um, and also like what, just how does it, how does it roll? What's the overall kind of gestalt of that process? And if it feels okay, then I, I walk away. I, I think, and this is a fair assessment of my work as, as a guitarist and as a vocalist and everything else, I'm very impasto. And if you get up close, it's just splatters and sprays and chunks and dots and very, very thick, unrefined globs. And as you step back to like three or four feet, you know what it is. And then if you step back 10 feet, it's actually well shaded and there's a cohesive image. But if you get up close on any of it, it's just 
splotches and globs and clusters, and it's on too thick. And other areas, there's no paint at all. You're an impressionist. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm. I, it, but I think most of us rock folks kind of are. I, I wrote. You said gestalt, and I love that word. And so I had to compliment you on. I can I can see people who are not nearly as nerdy as us perhaps running to the dictionary for that one. The vocabulum on Mullary has has proven both a good and a bad thing at times. Useful if you're writing lyrics. I, it's it's useful if you're writing lyrics. It's uh, sometimes it's not so useful depending on on your target audience. I leave my kids scratching their heads a bunch. It's good for them though. It is. It just puts them to work. Go on now. Go on. Get out of here. Use that. Use that somewhere. Use that to sentence you. <laughs> How much do your songs change when you bring them to the other three guys? When you bring them to Ray and Eli and Ryan? Depends on the song. Some of them are pretty much verbatim. The one thing that I've tried not to do is ex- exercise a tremendous control over where they see fit to to go with their parts. Although, I mean, we all do that with each other. They're good sports. I mean, they put up with the fact that I bring a lot to their table, but um, the overall compositions a few times have shifted and have required additions and subtractions. But I would say if if I bring the comp to them, it stays about 90% the same. Oh, last question, because I respect your time as a busy dude. Oh man, I'll tell you, I, I, I make as much time as you want for this, Mike. Like I said, we talk about this stuff, so whatever. Oh, I'm going to have to have you back and we'll talk about something completely unrelated to music. We have enough interest that intersect that I think that'd be a good listen. Um, and I know this is a question that you shouldn't ask songwriters because I'm a songwriter and I hate it when people ask me this. Actually, sometimes I don't. Um, what's your favorite song on the new record on Future Copy? Because they're all your uh, children. That's always a toughie. Um, you know, I think the obvious one for all of us in our band right now, I think if you were to say, what are you like most proud of? What do you want to play publicly the most? I think we would all say inflection point uh, just because, you know, on the record, you've got one take up. And um, I mean, I know you were at the release. I mean, I think we very easily sat down and gave a similar rendition of it. It's not identical. And that went for like another nine minutes. And, um, you know, to have that kind of open structure where we can hear each other, it's a direction that we're all, not comfortable in and so i think we all kind of want to keep coming back to that you know um over and over and over again that song is like game day whereas like some of the other ones we've rehearsed it so much it's like rehearsal every time we come up to that one it's like game day you're turning into a jam band eh, there's worse things and not many but but i mean they are my favorite used to be door to nowhere it was on my first listen and now it's turned to screws like i can't get enough of that song I like that too. It's fun. It's definitely a little more poppy. Um, I enjoyed doing some of the vocal work in that. I can't convince anybody else to sing harmonies. So we've got this is know. me waving my hand at you. Yeah, well, let's come on. Hey, you know what? You're like an honorary guy anyway, though. You know, because if you can play a set with us with absolutely zero rehearsal and just some footnotes, um, I, I think you're an honorary sad box. That's um, awesome. That was my. That was the musical experience for 2021 that I'll remember the longest. That's the best time I had playing music this year. No lie. No, no. Seriously, on on the opposite end of that, um, that was an absolutely thrilling experience on my end as well. Um, We were prepared to come in and do a three-piece 
just we don't have a bass player because you know Ryan cannot play. And to all of a sudden have a bass player, have a bass player who knows the material, who rocked the show, and we're friends with was one of the most like all-time super cool experiences that you could hope for. And I'll tell you this, I feel like it summarizes Dayton's music in a very nice, nice, tidy little box. Like you don't even need to speak to it. Say, yeah, on bass players, friends with bands, bass player plays with band and goes on. And, and like, man, it, it was so cool. Thank you. Thank you for saying yes when I offered. But yeah, that's it does. I don't know how many towns that happens in. I don't know. Friendship looks like this. It's pretty cool. And like, you know, this music obviously means so much to us, not just as an art form, but it's a way to express ourselves and work out deeply held internal issues. Like to get to do that with people that you like to be around is pretty cool. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't just happen and it it's a culmination of years of common interests and, and, and practice and rehearsals. Like we I think we sit down as musicians and frequently get frustrated with ourselves because I I, I practice, you know, I've I've this space I'm I'm standing in right now and, and I like it. It's my creative space, it's an outlet for me. You know, it's it's dirty as all get out, you know, it's in a basement with clutter everywhere. But a lot of times I come down here and I feel like I didn't do anything. You know, I, I play for an hour. I don't feel like I'm better. I mean, I've probably got 15,000 hours of practice in my life. How's one hour going to make a difference? It doesn't. And here I am. I'm the same idiot walking out of here as I came in. And then all of a sudden, one of those things happens. And we can sit down and, you know, map stuff out. And you have that moment where some melting happens. And all of a sudden, you realize, no, wait, all those hours that I spend doing this aren't frivolous because I can speak to another musician and I can communicate musically with somebody. And, you know, all of a sudden it validates all these hours that you spend in solitude to have this beautiful performance in front of a whole bunch of people that nobody knows all the stuff you put into it. But like, to me, that's, that's, this, that's part of the great payoff. Yeah. That right there is the best summary of why we make music that I think anyone's going to come up with. I think it's universal. I think we all feel that way, Mike. Yep. So that's a, that's a good place to end it. I'm going to recommend people. I'm going to wave this in front of the camera again for the people that are going to get the exclusive uh, video version of this that I swear that I will put up somewhere where you have to do favors to get it. Uh, go find this on, uh, this is Future Copy, Sadbox's second full length. Go find it on vinyl or on compact disc. If you are not into hard copy music, you can stream it everywhere. And while they will make one nineteenth of a cent for each stream, that's okay. What they really want you to do is listen to the music and enjoy it. They put their heart and soul into making this record with my favorite engineer in Dayton, Patrick Himes. So go get it. And thank you again, Paul Levy, for spending some of your evening with me. Thank you for spending your evening with me, Mike. It's always a joy, man. Once again, thanks to Paul for taking time out of his busy schedule to talk to me. Thank you, dear listener, for being here with me on the podcast. I invite you to please subscribe on the podcast listening platform of your choosing for more interesting conversations like the one you just heard. Have a lovely rest of your day.